0: Oh, Captain. Nothing personal word of the day. It is Thursday, August 17th, 2023. Welcome to Nothing Personal, and we are channeling Dead Poets Society. Oh, Captain, my Captain. We are starting the show today with history that is being made here in New York, and it is history of the wrong kind. The New York Yankees are in some kind of trouble. While the rest of the country may revel in that fact, there's a whole lot of people here in New York, if you walk the streets, who can't believe what they're witnessing, feeling as though it is total catastrophe. I wanted to put it in perspective, and I wanted to mention and discuss who should be doing what to stem the tide. When your team is supposed to be good and they're bad, You start with different levels of excuse making. First, you start with the GM giving the vote of confidence to the manager, talking about how he feels about his club. He is ready and excited because they've got the pieces in place to turn it around. When that doesn't work, you get the manager to go out and say, man, this is frustrating. This front office did everything they're supposed to do. We've got the players in here that are supposed to do it. There's plenty of time left in the season. Don't panic. We're together. We've got this. When that doesn't work, you get the players to start chirping. But when you get a player to talk about a season, you have to be careful. You have to choose the right player. In the Yankees instance, it's got to be Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge, who signed the $360 million nine-year deal at the end of last season. Aaron Judge, who broke the record for home runs as a Yankee and in the American League last year, 62 of them, then re-signed after flirting with other teams, wink, wink, re-signed. And on nothing personal, we said, that's great. Their offense is the same as it was last year, except worse because Judge cannot have as good a season. They did nothing to catch the Astros. Their offense is a problem. But their payroll went up, their responsibilities and obligations went up, and God knows they got a great pitcher in Carlos Rodon. We're excited, ready to go for the season. When it all falls in the crappa, Aaron Judge is supposed to stand up as captain and talk about things that he's doing and that can be done. He's new at this, so we're going to help him. First, I'm going to tell you what he said, then we're going to tell you what he should have said. He has spoken two nights in a row. Two nights ago, when the Braves beat the Yankees 5-0, Aaron Judge came out and said, "What it comes down to, we're not showing up when we need to, especially down the stretch right now. And we've gotten every opportunity to keep ourselves in the race, but we're not capitalizing on what we need to. So the theme is that he looks around that clubhouse and views the players as capable enough to win, but caring enough not to get the results. They're not showing up. Now he doesn't mean that literally, unless that would be a story, but I think we've heard about that. If all of a sudden BP starts and there's seven players there or stretch starts and there's two players there, my guess is they're showing up. So what he means is they're not showing up, meaning what they're supposed to do in results then that's what you say. Is it the fact that the results are not what you expected them to be, but the effort is there? Or are you saying the effort's not there? Because if you want to say the effort's not there and you're the captain of the team, if you're going to go public and say that the effort's not there, you better have a team meeting and tell your teammates that privately and tell them that this is going to be the message that we're going to give publicly. Because when you're leading a group of men, you better understand what you're doing publicly. If you are their leader and you call them out, the reason better be that they don't deserve notice. But when you've got a team of veterans who have long-term deals where the makeup of the team next year is gonna be damn similar to the makeup of the team this year because of contracts, and you wanna maintain your leadership status, You better communicate with your team in advance if you're going to say they're not showing up. I would have been happier two days ago for Aaron Judge to say nothing because they still had another game against the Braves. They know very well that they're not as good as the Braves. There's a likelihood they're going to get swept. So you wait until you're done with Atlanta, then you talk. When you talk to the media, you try to do it. When you have a players meeting, you try to do it when you are playing a crappy team and your best pitcher is pitching the next day because you want to get the win after any sort of comments or meetings. So instead the Yankees play the Braves. Again, the Braves are one to two favorites. And for the third game in a row, the Braves beat the Yankees. This time it was a much closer game, two nothing instead of five nothing. Yes, that's back-to-back shutouts. And then Aaron Judge spoke again. And he said, I think it kind of weighs on some guys because guys try to go in there and do a little too much and get that big hit and hit a three-run homer with no one on base. Uh Uh-oh. Now they're talking like a 90-loss team. Now they're talking about a basketball team that's down 20 with three minutes left in the fourth quarter, starts shooting up threes, because that's what they have to do in order to come back, but the likelihood is de minimis. Or you're down 18 in the third quarter, plenty of time to come back. You take bad shots, you get yelled at by your coach because there's still plenty of time to play your game and get back in the game. In football, when you're down three touchdowns in the second quarter, you don't abandon your game plan. Execute your game plan, get one in before halftime, you're down two touchdowns, make sure your defense can hold them and you've got a chance to win the game. You don't need to do 50 yard post patterns on first down, second down, and third down, and then not punt on fourth and 10 from your own 25 because you're down in the second quarter or third quarter. So that's his point. When you're down eight runs and no one's on base, you're supposed to be getting on base. And it reminded me of many, many times that I had been in the clubhouse talking about this very thing because it is very common except it's a results-based argument. And what I mean by that is when you're down by six runs in the ninth inning and somebody swings on an 0-2 pitch in a ridiculous non-choked up, I need a home run swing, You say to the player, you know, we are down six. Really, what we needed to do is to get on base. And sometimes the player says and the agent says, but wait a minute. A home run's good for stats. It's good for arbitration, good for free agency. And then we're only down five with no outs and no one on. We had a different view in our front office, which is rallies, back-to-back hits, station-to-station, Get two men on, double the man. You still got a man on second with no one on. The type of pressure that you are putting on the opposing team who's got the lead in the eighth or the ninth or any late inning. We always wanted a rally versus a solo homer to start the ninth. When you're down two, as an example, this may sound unpopular, but hear me out. When we're down two in the ninth inning, we always rooted for our leadoff guy to get on base, not to hit a solo home run. When he did hit a solo home run, we'd say, all right, we're down one, we're starting the ninth. But when the closer's there and they've walked a guy or given up a single or a double, it just feels different than when you've given up a home run and you get to start fresh as the opposing team's pitcher. So we did not like the pitcher to start fresh. We wanted a rally. But of course, you teach the players when you're down four runs and there's two on a three run homers. It's nice, but we need you on base. So Aaron Judge saying, trying to hit a three run homer with no one on base. What he's saying is everyone's pressing or what he's saying is everyone is strategically inept. All of that is a poor reflection of both Aaron Boone and Aaron Judge. When you are the captain of the Yankees and you have been named the first captain since Derek Jeter, it is incumbent on you to make sure that you strike the right chord at the right time every single time in the clubhouse and in front of the media, on the field and in front of the media, in front of the media and in front of your teammates. This is Aaron Judge's first true test as captain of the Yankees. He must be incredibly frustrated, although the entire room is likely frustrated and embarrassed. So one of the approaches he could have used was, there are, there is no better group of guys. This clubhouse is as together as any Yankees team I've been a part of. We are supremely confident in our abilities and are as disappointed, shocked and dismayed as you are that we are under 500 for the first time since 1995 after 121 games. We are in disbelief that in the last two days we made history as only the third time in our entire franchise history to score zero runs and combined for five hits or fewer over the course of two games. We are embarrassed, we are disappointed, but we are supremely confident in our group. Did you miss that stat, Coca? That's a really crazy stat. In 1914 and 1916, I mean, only the Yankees can have history like that, Another oh, a couple other teams, certainly not the newer teams. That's the last time the Yankees got shut out two games in a row, and only got total of five hits over those two games or fewer. It's been over a hundred years what the Braves did to them in the last two days. A hundred years. So maybe Aaron Boone knows what's going on. Maybe he's got the answer to why firing the hitting coach and Sean Casey hasn't done a thing. shocking. The Yankees' average is ahead only of that of the A's. This is the Yankees. The Yankees are hitting like 230 as a team. Glaber Torres is leading the team, hitting 265. Don't be fooled into thinking Aaron Judge is hitting 281 because as a front office, we don't care that Aaron Judge is hitting 281 because he doesn't even qualify to win the batting title, which means his average doesn't mean anything. It's not a big enough sample size. We don't care. We focus on stats of qualified players. So maybe Aaron Boone is going to take care of it. Aaron Judge tried. Maybe it's Boone. Boone says, I get it. Looks bleak. And I don't want to even suggest that we're in a position to even talk about a streak. We've got to fix our own house and get going. But there's a lot of season left. And we've got to look at it that way. Hell yeah, Aaron. We love feeding the manager stats like there's 25% of a season left. We've got 40 games left. We go 30 and 10, boom, we're a 90 win team. We've gone 30 and 10 before. That's only a 750 winning percentage. What's the big whoop? Is anyone believing me? Anybody? God, no one ever believed that crap that we were spewing. Hey, it's only been 10% of the season. Don't be ridiculous. We're only 1-15. in We're fine. We got 90% left. Guess what? Yankees finished. Game, set, match. Speaking of finished, do you remember one month ago, about maybe a month and a half ago, the great former Met, maybe is he on the Mount Rushmore of Met pitchers? Coca, in your mind is a Met fan? Is Marcus Stroman one of the greatest Mets to ever pitch for them? (laughs) I'm going to say no. Marcus Stroman pitching for the Cubs was pitching like an all-star, pitching like Cy Young. He went public, I don't know when, maybe a month ago, month and a half ago. I can't understand why the Cubs haven't signed me to a long-term deal. I mean, I want to stay here and I'm ready. And I've got an opt-out and I'm going to opt out, but I want to re-sign and everyone was saying, my God, Jed Hoyer, you stink. Tom Ricketts, you're cheap. Theo, where are you? Oh, you abandon us. How could you guys not be signing Stroman? And I would say to you and did say to Coca in preparation of a show one day that it didn't make the air because it got edited, not edited out. We just didn't get to it. Don't sign a player at his height. Marcus Stroman is not a $30 million pitcher by any stretch. He got hurt again. He was ready to come back yesterday and then he got hurt again. So I was brought back to that feeling. There are a lot of bad feelings when you're the president of a baseball team, a lot of bad things that happen from the worst, which I experienced, which is death to what feels like it's terrible, but in retrospect with perspective, it's whatever, an injury, to crimes, to arrests, to lack of revenue, to disappointments, there's a lot of downside. Hey, I gotta fire this person. Although when they're deserving, as you know, we're good. What a terrible call to get when you are excited to get your player back from injury. They've ramped up, you're ready to take them off the injured list. The way you do that is when a pitcher is ready to pitch, and they've been on the injured list for a period of 10, 15, 20, 30, however many days, you do not make the player move until right before the game that he's going to pitch. Then you activate the player, and then you send a player out who your pitcher is replacing on the roster. You don't tell the player who is being optioned or designated You don't tell the player who it's going to be or when it's going to happen. Players are smart. They know when a probable pitcher is on the injured list, but then he's probable for a Tuesday. Therefore, there's going to be a roster move. So if you're a pitcher or a bullpen arm, sometimes you are paying attention because you think that you're going to be on the train back to AAA. But the reason we don't tell the player is we don't want the player to get injured and go on the injured list. But we do tell the manager, you do not have access to this player the day before. We did not like pitching pitchers when we knew we were optioning them out either that day or the next day. Sometimes you're forced to by circumstances of the game, but we would tell the manager, stay away from John Doe. He's not been in the training room. We are able to option him out. And as you know, we're starting John Cocktostin on... Wednesday. So your pitcher's ready to go. You're feeling happy. And then Dr. Rosen Rosen calls you and says, you wouldn't believe it. We have a problem with your player. And that's what happened with the Cubs. Marcus Stroman ready to make his start. And then he said, you know, I got a little rib cage soreness. And they said, really? You can't pitch with rib cage soreness. Little known fact, knees, very bad. Don't pitch with a bad knee, it changes your mechanics outside of the forearm tightness. Sorry, Shane, Tommy John. Shoulder impingement, tightness, bone chips, all of it's bad. Rib cage, really bad, like an oblique. Because when your rib hurts, if you've ever had a broken rib or a fractured rib or a hurt rib, any sort of cartilage fracture, any sort of anything, you know that sneezing, avoid it. Don't go in dusty rooms. Coughing, don't do it the torque and the force that's required to pitch. I want you to imagine having a problem and a pain in your rib area. It's an immediate shutdown because if you try to make up for that, you are gonna hurt yourself in a different way. So Marcus Stroman has a right rib cartilage fracture. Marcus Stroman is in the middle of a three year $71 million deal. And Marcus Stroman has a $21 million player option for next year. Guess what? Marcus Stroman is going to opt in to that $21 million player option because Marcus Stroman is not going to play again this year. And Marcus Stroman, according to the Cubs and any other potential free agent suitors, all of whom are being called by Marcus Stroman's agent as we speak, are all saying, eh. I'm not so sure he's worth over $21 million, which is worth more than the qualifying offer for next year, likely. Although Stroman is not eligible for a qualifying offer because he already got one over the course of his life. So wait to see. When I tell you something's going to happen, when it does, it does. When it doesn't, it doesn't. I'm going to give you a wait to see right now. Marcus Stroman will not pitch again this season. Make that a separate wait to see, Coca. And then a second wait to see, Marcus Stroman will opt into his $21 million player option. Because if there's a team out there who gives Stroman more than 21, shame on them. So the Cubs are in position even without Stroman. They've had an amazing run. If you're a Cubby, if you're a Cubs fan, and trying to relive the glory of 19 four, six, 9 If you're a Cubs fan and trying to relive the glory of 2016, you're feeling pretty good about yourself. You're 20 and 11 in the second half. Well, since the All-Star break, you're now in a three-way tie for the wild card. When there was a question about whether you were going to sell, it turns out you are right in there competing with the Reds, Marlins, and Diamondbacks to make the playoffs, which is where you wanted to be when you signed. Swanson. So we'll see what happens with that wild card race. It's really something. God, the Reds, Marlins, and Diamondbacks are trying not to win it, aren't they? All right. Coca, let's take a break. When we come back. I watched a movie that we have to talk about, and I've got a horrific update. Not life or death, but a sad, pathetic, angering, frustrating update about the Michael Orr situation. We will Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. This is David Sampson with Matthew Coca. Every day live, Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel. Please subscribe. If you're watching this and you haven't subscribed, subscribe. Get your friends to subscribe. Spread the word. We like it. I watched a movie yesterday and it has impacted my day. I watched it right after yesterday's show. I started it in between the end of the show and a segment I recorded with Adnan on The Levitard Show. It's called King of Clones. It's a movie on Netflix. It's about a Korean doctor named Dr. Woo Suk, And he was the preeminent cloning scientist. I'm not a scientist. I want to put it in words that we can all talk about, but this is not the point of the review or of the conversation. What he was doing in his mind was what Gene Hackman was doing in Extreme Measures, which is a movie you should also see with Hugh Grant and SJP. It's a movie, Extreme Measures Fiction, King of Clones Real. How far would you go to eradicate disease? How far would you go to study cancer or to study Parkinson's or ALS? How far would you go to cure paralysis? Would you grow human embryos for the sole purpose of having them as clones, using cells from them, and then having them not end up as human beings? Would you take homeless people off the street or drug addicts or other people without families and against their will or trick them into believing that they are doing something that they weren't doing? or pay them to do something that they knew they were doing in order to study them because you needed human subjects in order to prove to the FDA that you had a cure for blank. I have struggled with this. I will admit to you my struggle. When you've got no one sick in your family, it's easy to take the high ground and say, absolutely, we will not clone. I will not take human embryos from women who don't know that it's happening. I won't pay women to do it. The whole movie King of Clones, you're thinking about this because it presents you with that moral conundrum. Did he take fertilized eggs from women and not tell them what it was for? Did he not tell them he was taking the eggs? Did the women volunteer? Did they not volunteer? In Korea, there were millions of people who believe that Dr. Woo-suk was the second coming of Jesus, that he had an opportunity to not just put Korea on the science map, but put Korea on the world map for doing something that everyone believed they wanted to be done, which is to eradicate disease, to eradicate paralysis. When you have no personal stake in the game, It is super easy to say, this is outrageous. We will not engage in cloning. It's the same argument that is made time and time again. It goes to the pro-life argument. At what point is an embryo a human being with rights afforded to it by the Constitution of the United States? What is the moral obligation when you are cloning, when you are breeding, raising someone just to be killed? For those of you who are not vegetarians or pescatarians or whatever kind of Terrian there is, there are many animals that you eat who are born for the sole purpose of being dinner. How do we feel about that? We gotta eat. Well, you can live off the land if you so choose. Plenty of ways. So what we do is we make decisions based on our own individual circumstance. I like a steak. If a cow is born to die so I can eat a ribeye, all right. If it happens to me and there's creatures that come along like woolly mammoths and they decide that I'm gonna be lunch and I can't escape it and they get me those smart little suckers, tip your cap. But then what happens when you have a sister with cancer? or a relative who's paralyzed in a wheelchair? Or what happens when you've got a friend with Parkinson's? What happens when you believe that there's help out there, but it requires testing? And even with that testing, it's not gonna help the current people in your life, but it will help future people in their lives. Then you get down the rabbit hole of overpopulation, or the natural order, or the natural way of life and death. Do we want to extend lives? What do you? Instead of people dying at 50, they die at 85 or 95—an extra 50 years for an individual life. Important for the family, but in the grand scheme of things, it's barely a that On the side of a buffalo in Yellowstone. Don't take selfies with buffalo, by the way. Is it excusable for one life where you're adding 50 years to take the lives of others or to trick people into thinking that you're not doing what you're doing? It's a way harder subject than you think. When you watch King of Clones, all I ask is to give that thought, is to try to decide for yourself what makes sense. We cannot cure death. But boy, do we spend a lot of resources delaying it. A lot of money, a lot of emotional capital. I don't know. I guess I would do anything for family if that's what they wanted. I would do anything for myself if that's what I wanted. If I had a quality of life, I'd want to live forever. So yesterday just to tie up this review, I'm watching King of Clones and I'm thinking about the movie, both Extreme Measures and also In Time, the movie with Justin Timberlake and Amanda Seyfried, where, and I believe that the guy from Peaky Blinders and Oppenheimer is the cop in that movie, whose name escapes me, but it could be Cillian Jacobs where you have time on your wrist and when you're rich, you can buy time. And when you're not rich, you can't and time runs out. And when your time runs out, you just drop wherever you are. You can be in the middle of something good. And when time runs out, it becomes something bad. And so I was thinking about all of the concepts of time, which as you know, infects my brain all hours of the day and night, the one, that you can never buy, no matter your financial position. You cannot buy more time with your loved ones, with yourself. But boy, if there were a way to do it, would I engage in the practice of earning money and allocating that money to buying time? Just think about it. All of the good stories that are out there we all wanna believe are good. I get it. You don't wanna think that your hero has warts. You learn stuff about your friends, about your parents, about your family. You spend enough time with someone, you look at them and say, wow, didn't know that was how you were gonna react to this situation. You ever done that with your significant other? Hey, that's a surprise. Hey, thought we were best friends, now we're not talking. There's all sorts of things that end in a way that is dissatisfying. The Michael Orr situation, the movie, The Blind Side, the stories that have come out, I am so dissatisfied. I am so angry, upset, annoyed, disappointed. The word of the day the other day was blindsided. And that's when I thought Michael Orr had been blindsided. Well, the Tuie's have begun to fight back. So yesterday we covered the Tuie's fighting back. Or two days ago, three days ago, whatever it is. Guess what happened yesterday in this situation? I can't even. The Tuie's have a lawyer who announced to the world that not only did Michael Orr know that he had not been adopted, that they were, the Tuies were his conservators. He wrote about it in his own autobiography in 2011. So him telling us that he only discovered it in February of 2023 was not true. And Orr also neglected to mention, it is being alleged by the Tuies through their attorney that Michael Orr was trying to extort the tuis that he went to them and said, give me $15 million or I will go public with claims that you guys are a bunch of swindlers. What if the tuis are not the bad people in this story? What if Michael Orr is? Worse, what if both of them are bad. What if the Tui's are lying because they can't get their story straight about how much money they've made from the movie? They may have signed a movie deal with nefarious intentions. They may have asked, asked to be his conservator and had him sign those documents thinking that he was going to be a professional football player. Think Brittany here. What if, or did say to them recently, give me $15 million, or I'm going to smear you as I am promoting my book? What if all of it's true? I just, I, I, I can't. That means there's no one to like. And in any movie, in any story, in any situation, When you're with a group of people in real life, when you go out to dinner with seven people from work, don't you tend to gravitate toward the person you like, toward the person you want to be with? Oh, no, we're doing a team building situation. Hey, let's hang out, department by department. No, we're trying to mix departments. Nope, we all are with who we're comfortable with. We all want to be with those we like and love. What if there's no one to like or love in the whole damn place? What do you end up doing? either not going or spending the whole time in a corner on your phone. Totally despondent beyond repair. That's how I feel about the Orr situation. I don't like any of them. I don't want to be around any of them. I don't want to hear about any of them. I don't want to root for any of them, even though I spent years rooting for or and following his career and loving the blind side. I don't like any of them. There is one person I do like. Sandra Bullock, ignore all the noise, please. Michael Lewis, what's your position here? He's the writer of the book on which the movie was based. Good friends with Tui, the father. Michael Lewis decided to enter into the fray for no particular reason at all and say, everyone should be mad at the Hollywood studio system. He gave an exclusive interview to the Washington Post and that was his position. Michael Orr should join the writer's strike. It's outrageous how Hollywood accounting works. I'm sorry, Michael. I was asking you about the Orr situation. Oh, then let me just add to my quote. There was no money in the Tui's pockets. Come on. I am very sympathetic to what's going on with the writers, WGA, SAG-AFTRA. I am absolutely understanding why the studios don't want to give in. I see both sides of this as clear as day. But when Michael Lewis is giving an interview, I don't want to hear talk about the strike. I want to know how much money went to who, what the contract looked like, what the book deal was. When you sold the rights to the book, did you sell it to yourself? Did you sell it to a production company? What's your view of the finances? And what's your view of why you wanted to perpetuate a myth that Michael Orr was not a smart guy? That would be stuff I'd be interested in. But as I said, I don't like anybody. I do like that the astros beat the marlins last night not that i root against the marlins but i root for our pick of the day nothing personal pick of the day we are ho triple t we had the astros over the marlins that's a win we're 113 and 111 good series tonight diamondbacks and padres zach Gallen, who could win the cy young is going against the padres the Padres are not as far out of the wild card in the National League as you'd like to believe, but they're not going to win it. The Diamondbacks have fallen a game and a half back because they're the Diamondbacks, and everyone had thought they were going to win the West. The Dodgers have a double-digit lead. It was early in the season. Everybody slow your roll. The Diamondbacks are 9-21 since the break, a game and a half behind Cubs, Reds, Marlins. Hard to climb three teams. Oh, no, we're only a streak away. All right, if you're a streak away, guess what? Start now. Gallon over the Padres is our pick of the day. The commissioner of baseball is back, baby, with more stadium comments. Not about Oakland. Go listen to yesterday's show if you want an update on what their team president's doing. Cavill, owner, Fisher. We've talked about the Brewer Stadium situation, the Orioles Stadium situation. Guess what? We've got another stadium situation and we haven't given it enough love and it's the Kansas City Royals. We've talked about it over time. Their owner is a guy named John Sherman. No relation to Bruce. Sherman has been very open with the fans in Kansas City and I love Kansas City. Great city, great people. There's great people everywhere if you find them. So when I say I don't like anyone, I want to re- not retract it, but I meant in the or situation. Although people around me who know me and love me may think that I really don't like anyone, but that's not true. I'm a totally normalized guy. Do you believe me? So they, Sherman would take your temperature, the anti-Chris Farley from Tommy Boy, he wants to stick it, the thermometer up the bull's ass doesn't want to take the butcher's word for it, wants to know what you think, has a couple of sites in mind, and they're going to announce next month where they're going to replace Kaufman Stadium, which site. They are furiously negotiating with both. They're trying to figure it out. It's going to be a huge, huge investment by the owner, but they want public money. Make no mistake. And the way they want public money is that the tax that was levied in order to renovate Kauffman Stadium, which was supposed to sunset, they want to keep that tax going. Just to be very clear, when a tax is used to build a ballpark the way it was in Milwaukee, and then it sunsets, which means the bonds have been paid, or the tax was set for a period of time in order to fund the bonds, used to build the stadium or the public share of the stadium or the public share and part of the private share. Once that has been taken care of, the tax ends. That's what Sunsetting means. So people, when they're paying taxes, aren't paying that. If you decide to reinstate it, start it again, guess what? You are both creating a new tax and raising citizens' taxes. Why do I say creating a new tax? Because a tax that is done is done. Just because it's the same name, the same amount, and for the same thing doesn't mean, hey, no problem, you've done it before, just keep doing it. No, it was done. So at least label it what it is, which is that what Sherman wants to do in Kansas City is levy a new tax and collect it and have that help pay for the $2 billion ballpark. It always pissed me off greatly when people in Florida said that we created a new tax for the public portion of Marlins Park. We did not. We did not raise an existing tax and we did not create a new tax. We allocated a revenue stream that already existed. That was it. That misunderstanding has been a thorn in my rib cartilage for over a decade. But when you are trying to get the deal done, you bring in the commissioner, of course. Rob had a great statement. This is a tremendous opportunity for this community. Forget the Royals, meaning it's tremendous opportunity for the whole community. Either of these sites are outstanding sites for a new ballpark. Either present the opportunity for entertainment district development around the ballpark. Hell yeah. The beat goes on. That's what teams are doing. It's hip. And in a world of copycat, I've got to do what you did because you've got more money than I do. And I've got to try to keep up with you, not catch you. But I want to keep the same distance behind you. The Royals do not become a top third payroll team with a new ballpark in a new place with an entertainment district. They just lessen the gap, and that is what the commissioner's goal is. Please understand what he is trying to do prior to the next collective bargaining agreement in 2026. He is trying to keep owners together, not have owner infighting, not have a Steve Cohn and a John Fisher meaning not have a 360 payroll and a 60 payroll. Trying to lessen the gap by increasing revenue sharing and increasing revenue for teams at the bottom in order for them to spend more, to feel as though they're closer to the teams who are spending more and they've got a fighting opportunity or a fighting chance to win. Notwithstanding that this year we're seeing no correlation between winning and payroll see the first story of today's show. I absolutely understand why the commissioner wants the community to know you don't have to be a Royal fan to want development. Braves fans love going to Braves games, but plenty of people use the development around Truist Park without going to games. Plenty of people use the ballpark village in St. Louis. Plenty of people use Wrigleyville who don't have tickets to the game. It's damn good for your community because you've got a place to go to be entertained, to eat, drink, and be merry. This is the whole thing going on with Jorge Moss and Inter-Miami. Lest we forget that all the excitement about Messi and how he can't lose and how Inter-Miami is worth so much more, the revenue's great, everything's coming up roses. The new stadium in Reese in Miami on the golf course, where God knows it won't be done in time for Messi to play there, but that is all done because of the development around that soccer stadium. That's the play that owners are making now. Left, right, and center, they are making real estate plays. The Royals announced that they will have their stadium done in 2000 for 2028 and then he went to talk to you about all the jobs that are going to be created, all the economic development, all the labor income, the economic output. These are all keywords used by team presidents and owners when they want to get public financing for a stadium because it gives cover to politicians. Yes, I'm voting to make a rich man richer and I'm giving a tax break to a billionaire. But For all of my constituents out there, I'm getting you jobs. I'm putting you in a position for you to have a better life, not for you to be like an owner of a team, but to be the best you can be and to potentially lessen the gap between you and the class above you. Sound familiar? Same arguments, same concepts. Will it work? It's just business.